City, how you doing? Come on, Shai Stadium, you sound like you're half asleep. Come on, let's hear you. How you doing? It's good to see a few people who aren't worried about a bit of rain. You ain't worried about no rain, are you? Rain's a load of rubbish. Don't worry about rain. Anyway, what we got for you tonight is we ain't got no baseball, no baseball tonight. We ain't got no football, they're on strike. But what we have got for you is a little bit of what's going on in London at the moment. So will you welcome, all the way from Labrook Road, London W10, The Clash, come on! Hello, my name is Matt Pullman and welcome to episode three of Missing Words. In this third episode, we sat down with artist and former manager Cosmo Vinyl. Cosmo is perhaps best known for his time managing Ian Drury and the Blockheads and The Clash. With a bombastic and loud personality, Cosmo became a different sort of manager during his time with those bands. While it seemed like there was never an official title with The Clash, the man became a sort of MC for the band. As you heard in our intro from when The Clash played their famed show at Shea Stadium opening for The Who in 1982. With The Clash, he was witnessing one of the most important bands ever in perhaps one of their most tumultuous times. After The Clash disintegrated in the mid-80s, Cosmo made a name for himself as an artist. As a New Yorker for more than 30 years, he immersed himself in New York culture and American culture and raised his family here. Most recently, Cosmo has been the brainchild behind the Cisco Kid vs. Donald Trump series, which, if the title didn't tell you already, is a pretty strong reaction against the Trump agenda. In it, Cosmo pays tribute to Jose Luis Salinas' comic strip from the 50s and brings it to the present day and current affairs. The inspiration for using the Cisco Kid came sort of gradually for Cosmo. Just as the nation and the world was starting to deal with the reality of a Trump presidential run actually coming into fruition, especially when the future leader of this country was on SNL after calling Mexicans rapists and murderers. Yeah, but Saturday Night Live is treating it like a joke, you know, and he's, he's the host. They're letting him be the host. So I came to the conclusion that it was really one of two things. Either there were no Latinos working really on Saturday Night Live, or that's what we as a as a city thought of Mexicans. So I thought, well, it must be that they don't have a power base. And so therefore, I started to thinking like, well, who would come to their defense? Who would come to their defense? So once I knew Trump was going to be the, the nominee, which was slightly before he got it, it was, it was obvious. Um, I decided I was going to do something. It would be unconscionable not to be. And I was looking around and I found, long-winded story, I found a Cisco kid. I mean, at first I thought it might be a wrestler, but I found a Cisco kid and then I found um, Jose Luis Salinas' comic strip from the 50s and it just fit perfectly. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I just finished a project that run for five years on my soccer team. And so I thought, I'll start this on June the 1st and it will be over by November 10th. Right. You know, November the 10th, I'll be free. So that's what I'm doing, June to November, and then I can figure out what I'm doing and everything would have, have settled down. And of course, I was completely wrong. Right. So here we are in whatever it is, October, right? Of, like of the following year, <laughs> October the following year. And, um, Cisco Kid and Donald Trump continues, or Cisco Kid versus Cisco continues. Kid was a friend 
we've discussed in previous episodes of Missing Words, many artists felt the need to speak out and do something about what is happening in America by creating art. The same goes for Cosmo. What started as a small project in reaction to Donald Trump's idiotic administration has blossomed into a full-on reactionary art show. One that recently had shows in NYC and DC. DC has always been sort of a hotbed for punk rock activism, and it helped Cosmo bring his art to more people. Well, exactly what happened was there's an activist guy there called Mark Anderson who, who goes way back in the punk community with a thing called Positive Force, right. which goes way back to the roots of yeah, the DC, DC yeah, punk yeah, yeah. scene. So he had come to the show in uh, Times Square, and he said to me, you've got to put this on in DC. And I was like, well, I'd love to, but where? Yeah. So he, it, so it was agreed that if he could find a place that was suitable for me, that we could do it. Having this show in DC gave Cosmo the opportunity to bring these striking images into the belly of the beast. In fact, the Gallery of Lost Origins in Columbia Heights, where Cosmo put on his DC show, showcased a big, bold image of the Cisco Kid for all to see outside. Which makes you wonder, had anybody from the Trump cabinet, or even maybe the man himself, seen these images? So I have to be honest and say right now, I don't know. But for me personally, I just feel that like, um, spiritually and symbolically, that I'm there, Congress is there at the same time, and it's why I waited to put the show on. I said, I've got to do it when Congress is on, even if they don't pay any attention. I want to be doing it when they're there. And so so we will see. I mean, a couple of people have um, have come by that definitely work in politics. but So so that's interesting. But that they're, they're more on what we would call the right on side. Right. So, so it will be interesting to see if anybody, um, if anybody comes. But no, I've not had a knockdown drag out with Steve Bannon or anything yet. <laughs> well, one can only hope. He's exactly. Like he's Bring there. it on, baby. Bring it on. <laughs> I was also curious whether or not using these images had been difficult for Cosmo. Did he have to get any sort of permission to use these images? After all, Salinas died in 1985. So obviously there would be no way of getting his approval for these images. But deep down, you look at the images and feel that he would probably approve of the usage here. It seemed like this is what the Cisco Kid was all about. I have to be honest and say that my motto with art has been that you don't need permission for art. And I don't mean this in some kind of fanning the flames, kind of inflammatory way. I just mean that um, what I'm doing is art. And I'm trying to make a statement and I'm trying to present a visual and an aesthetic. And I'm not printing T-shirts and I'm not running off thousands of postcards. I'm putting this thing on Instagram. I'm making these very nice prints in small runs. And, um, you know, I'm not expecting the show to do anything more than pay for itself. I'm hoping that, you know, to cover costs. So I don't feel that there's any kind of exploitation of, of of the image and therefore I, I, I don't concern myself with that. Um, I'd like to think that Salinas who drew the drawings in the 50s would approve. I mean he was from Argentina and I am uh, waging war with a racist, fascist, anti-Latino um, president, you know. Right. And so um, one would hope that he would he would be happy for Cisco to uh, 
Take that on. This desire to fight fascism, racism, and injustice has always been a part of Cosmo. While before it might have seemed like it was coming from a punk rock dad, ranting against hypothetical fascism to his children, now that fascism actually exists. But there was always a deeper connection with Cosmo. This desire to fight fascism was in his DNA. When Trump, when Trump won the election, my oldest boy Jack said to me, well, Dad, you've got yourself a real fascist now to take on. So I was like, well, you're right. So um, only in that sense of like, um, I, you can tell by my Brooklyn accent, um, I originally come from East London and uh, my grandfather was a docker and the dockers fought the black shirts in the streets of East London and the black shirts were the British Nazis. This is in the thirties. It's called the battle of Cable street. Right. And, uh, family legend has it that my grandfather participated in that, whether or not he did or not. I don't know. Um, he was passed on long before I would have had a chance to ask him, but either way, the dockers were mostly communists as was he. And they, they did turn out and they did see them off. And I, I was always immensely proud of that. And, but I also thought that, well, that was a standard to hold oneself to, you know, that if, right. if anything like that bad happened, what would you do? Right. And, and I feel, I, I truly felt that, well, this is, this is a version of that. You know, this really is a version of that. So where do you stand in all this? And um, I don't claim to be doing anything great or anything special, but I do claim to be doing more than nothing. Yeah. And I feel that, like, it's almost an act of conscience, right. you know. Um, and then one wants to try and present it with some style and some elan and some humour. You know, basically I was thinking, like, well, what can you do for this, you know? And it's like, well, you know, I'm an artist. So I, could, I could do art for it. That's what I could contribute, right. you know. That would be the best contribution I could make. Yeah. And then I think this is... This has been the difference is that he's he's being open about these issues of race, privilege, gender, you name it. And and he's open about it. Um, Money, you know, exploitation of people, um, nationalism um, that I think it's so open that, that there's no hiding. There's, there's no hiding. You, you, it's impossible not to have an opinion right now. Right. I really think that's, that's yeah. yeah, you have to have an opinion. You, you're either for him or against him. I don't see how there's any middle ground. The line's been drawn. <laughs> there's no line anymore. It's just you, it. You know, so you could, before, it's like, well, maybe, you know, the W doesn't want to say this or, you know, I mean, right. Bush number one is trying to say kind of gentler or whatever. But this guy is just like in your face, yeah. you know, in your face. This is about old white men retaining power. And we've got to get back to pre-beatnik America, right. you know, you which is no good to me because beatnik America is where I come in. Right. You know, Jack Kerouac and then Elvis Presley after that. These are the things that have made my world. So I have no interest, you know in going back before that, nor do I have any interest in, in, in guys going back to, you know, going home, not talking about anything, beating up their wives right. uh, and black people being treated like dirt. You can't just ignore that. You can't do half. Then I think that's, yeah, it's like, it's, it's not a matter of things getting better. It's a matter of just where you have to react. 
Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's important. Exactly. So, so I, I therefore think under those circumstances, it's kind of inevitable that, 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 that it's going to come out because there really is. I mean, otherwise, what are you going to do? Not comment on right. the times? Yeah. True. I mean, I don't, I don't see how you comment on living in America right now without broaching that issue in some way. Cosmo has lived in America and New York City now for over 30 years. I've always been fascinated by the idea of when you become a part of an adopted city. Personally, being here in New York City for almost 15 years, I've always felt unsure about my status. Am I a New Yorker yet? Or just a tourist on extended visit? With Cosmo, I wondered if he felt the same but also, did he feel like an American? When do you officially become an American anyway? But also with all the talk of our nation's biggest cities being a bubble, does he feel the same way about cities? Are they these sort of protected areas away from all the nonsense and racist thoughts of this country? Or are we all just separating ourselves into a variety of different bubbles, depending on our political leanings and TV, radio and media choices? But let me just say, first of all, I think New York, As I first came to New York in 1978. And from when I first came here, I, I quickly learned that, that New York is a nation unto itself. Right. It has nothing to do with America. Right. And really, since 1978, I, I've not seen hardly any link to New York and America. Um, so, so in that sense, um, I think, you know, New York is somewhat, unique in the in america and and you know i don't know if you can make a argument for los angeles not being america i don't know um i've been there many times but i never took a shine to it so i've never spent more time than i've had to there right. so so i wouldn't know outside of that but i do think that um cities in general have moved one way and there are big expanses of the united states that, that have not moved in that direction. But I think this is also an international phenomenon. I think oh, this yeah. is, this is um, true in England to some degree, um, certainly in the southeast and um, to compare to the rest of the country. And, and I'm sure the same, you know, Paris with France. Right. And I mean, what's unusual in America is it's such a big country that you have so many cities. Most countries, they have two or three big ones and the rest, the rest are on a much smaller scale, right. you know. But living within that bubble, yes, I definitely think um, that we, we do live within the bubble. I, I think that cities are a bubble, but I also feel that um, modern technology, and by modern technology, I mean the changes in how we consume information and access information and entertainment have allowed us to, 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 to live in bubbles or streams regardless of where we are. Right. I mean, I, on a certain level, I think you could say that um, is rural America any less of a bubble? What happens is you have a family yeah. and you become a parent and you kind of move from that kind of like, oh, I'm a kind of out, 
outside the system beatnik kind of, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm underground, man, you know, to this point of like, no, your kids have got to go to school and these things matter. And now it's not just the way the police might treat you or your friends, so how they might treat your kids and their friends and like how are they going to get to school and how are these things. So I think, you know, um, having a family um, makes you a citizen. I I, I think it's hard it's hard to be a responsible family member and not become a citizen in the in, in the true meaning of the word of participating, you know, yeah, in the so, in the society. So I would say that that as as my kids of kids grew, you know, I became more and more aware and involved and and realised that the consequences were were much greater because you know like when i was a kid the anarchists used to say like if voting changed anything they'd make it illegal (laughs) but you know you realize that no you've got to be involved in these things and it does matter who your senator is and it does matter who your congressman and it does matter who represents you in your neighborhood these things matter and you can have some say at the heart of all of this though NYC has had a pretty profound effect on Cosmo. From the future graffiti scene and the art scene of the 80s, the influences were always there, whether he felt them immediately or not. Sometimes it can just take a little while for those influences to come to the surface. I think, you know, the 80s art scene in New York was very much just a part of the scene. Right. You know, there really wasn't too much demarcation. And um, I kind of found that just like refreshing and, and, and I guess in a way kind of took it for granted as a New York thing. You know, one didn't really think it was so different going to a gallery show of graffiti artists than going to a gig to see, you know, um, some kind of avant-garde jazz thing or going to Disco Fever in the Bronx to see. It all seemed to be just part of one big milieu, you know? Um, and the graffiti guys, you know, were um, were very inspiring in their in their kind of take it to the streets kind of, of um, attitude and execution. You know, it was phenomenal that what they were doing. Um, and I don't know that I really pay too much attention to, um, you know, to, to the, the finer tunings of, of the New York art scene. You know, I, I went to gallery shows and people tell me, oh, you were there with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And um, I go, okay, yeah, I was. If you say so, then I was there. I mean, um, Andy Warhol would be about and um, he would um, come to class shows and you would see him around. And um, my my favorite exchange with him was um, the Clash played at Shea Stadium, and he came. And at the time, there was talk of a robot, an Andy Warhol robot who was going to yeah. either it was going to exist or it, it existed. Anyway, he was in the dressing room, and I said to him, "I said, are you Andy, or are you the robot?" And he said, "Oh, I'm Andy." He said, "The robot is far more interesting." <laughs> But um, I wasn't really thinking about art in those days. I was thinking more in terms of music and culture and getting on with working with a band, which is what I was doing, you know, so I wasn't really thinking. I mean, 
Before I worked with The Clash, I worked with Ian Dury, who had been a painter and an art teacher, and I never asked him anything about that. I shared a room with him for two years on the road, never discussed it really. I, I was concentrating on what I was doing. But obviously these things seep in. Subconsciously. Absolutely yeah. subconsciously um, seep in. And, and that's definitely true if there's any um, young parents there out there listening to this. Take your kids to the museums. Take your kids to the art shows because it, I, I know for a fact it seeps through. It has to mind. The voodoo just jumps in on them and gets into them. They may look like they're running around and paying no attention, but later on they've, they've, they've got it all on board. So I think, you know, I think like all great culture, if you're around it, it's, it's going to leak into you. One thing I've thought about a lot recently is how Joe Strummer would have reacted to these times. What would he have said? What kind of music would he have made? It's something we'll unfortunately never know. However, I couldn't let our discussion end without some mention of Joe and how Cosmo thinks he would have reacted to these truly insane times. Well, he'd be telling us all to get off our backsides and be doing something about it. That's what he would be doing. And just in case there is anything after this, I'm going to be okay when I bump into Joe or Curtis Mayfield or Gil Scott Heron or Woody Guthrie. That's my concerns. I can look those guys in the eye and say, well, I know it's not much, but it's something. I want to thank Cosmo Vinyl for coming out to Brooklyn for our interview. It was truly a privilege to talk to him and very inspiring to hear how he is reacting against the Trump presidency. I would highly recommend checking out Cosmo's Cisco Kid vs. Donald Trump series. You can check it out on his Instagram account at instagram.com Cisco Kid vs. Donald Trump. I'll include a link to the page in this blog post. And keep up with all the latest news from Cosmo Vinyl at cosmovinyl.com. I also want to thank Hank Fisher, a true Clash historian, for providing some research and ideas for my interview with Cosmo. And as always, thanks to Bill Schultes for producing this episode. We'll be back soon with episode four of Missing Words. Please subscribe and leave comments or a rating if you like what we're doing with the podcast. I know everybody says that, but we're a new podcast, so any support you can provide would be much, much appreciated. Thanks again for listening. Sick him, Olive. Sick him. Sick him. Bite him. The big orange one. Bite him.